Okay, I believe we're we got a couple piled up. I believe this will end up being episode twenty-one. Very good. Episode twenty, which is going to come out it's Monday, the twenty-sixth, right now. Yep. Twenty-eighth. Our favorite episode is coming out, so in two days. So by the time you hear this, you will have listened to our favorite episode. I'm going to say well, we, one of the greatest things. I was about to say, we're not going to tell you who it is, but actually... <laughs> They'll know. <laughs> they're going to know by the time they hear this. So with Rooster and Billy Jack, oh, great episode. I have a little bit of concern for listeners that they're going to... They're not going to... Some of the stuff's going to not go over your head, but they cover some things so fast that are actually pretty unbelievable. <laughs> so I've... I've talked with you. I think we probably have a couple hours of breaking that episode down and providing context, providing background right. to a lot of those stories. Because when you actually understand, I mean, they're just laughing and going, oh, yeah, I remember this. And blah, blah, blah. But if you start to actually understand the context of some of those stories, it becomes almost odd, almost not believable stories. All right. Bill just kept going. And then there's and then there's and then there's <laughs> each time he started a story, he came ready to roll. And then we finished recording and went downstairs and they sat for another 20 minutes telling more stories. Yeah. They thought we thought we were out of it. <laughs> I know. And then get down, they immediately start thinking of more. And then Bill's wife wanted a, a copy of that recording on a little USB stick. And so I, once we got the, the show up edited, called and got their, their mailing address to send it down to her. And Bill on the phone, Billy Jack, Willie, heard him called Willie. Yeah. On the phone, he immediately, he took another 20 minutes on the phone telling me stories. So. We definitely, definitely will do another one of those. Yeah. But look, coming up on shortly, we will do a couple, probably, I, I would imagine we could do two episodes of talking about that episode. Right. So I hope you guys all enjoyed that as much as we did. It was, it was just a pleasure. Yeah. Like it was just, it was good. So we won't talk too much about it now because we will talk more about it when we behind the scenes it. Is that what we'll yeah. call it? We'll yeah. do it behind the scenes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think so. I got a certified letter this week. Did I tell you about the certified letter I got from Montana Department of Transportation? No. MDOT? No, but I also got a certified letter from the MDOT this week. Oh, yeah. We're going to hear yours. Mine's, mine's small and inconsequent. Is the results of my audit. Remember my audit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like weeks ago? Good. Yeah. Good enough. Oh, so. Well, this wasn't due to an audit. If any of you have driven around any small towns in Montana, when you drive into any town, almost without exception, you're going to encounter a sign on the side of the road as you enter the town that says, welcome to whatever town. It's usually going to have like, for instance, where, where I live, Fairfield, the high school is the Eagles, the mascot. It's Fairfield Eagles, state, state class B champions. And then it will have each sport that the state has ever, that the school has ever won a state championship in. Yeah. Any town in Montana you drive through, any little town has these. Yeah. Yep. Do you notice this in other states? I do. I, do. I was just going to say in, in Nebraska and South Dakota, it's the same thing. The old, some, at somewhere at some point, there's a, there's a sign on the side of the road in somebody's pasture or, you know, somewhere as you're coming into town. Welcome to Thedford, Nebraska. You know, doom, 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 doom. state champions, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever year in girls basketball, boys basketball, track, football, whatever. Yeah. Well, Fairfield has one of those in the sign for Fairfield happens to be in the corner of our pasture. Okay. Okay. Right. All right. So I get this. In fact, I got the, got the letter right here. 
Oh, with the picture it's got, on it's it. A, in the, the picture. Well, what's the letter about? The letter actually has a picture of the sign and it says subject 60 day notice unlawful outdoor advertising. Oh, wow. So this letter <laughs> has about four paragraphs of uh, all the illegality of that sign. So dangerous. And let me say, I have nothing to do with this sign. It ha- it's been here for years. It's in the corner of the pasture. The current sign replaced one that had been there even longer. Uh-huh. It's been there it's forever. part of the town. Been yeah. there forever. Mm-hmm. And so then as you get through all the, the codes and the acts and the all permit violation notices that are being violated, it gets to the point where it says, during my route survey, I could not lo- locate the permit on the sign. So someone, someone from the state is doing a, a route survey. No way. And saw the sign and took the time to see if there was a permit on it and said he could not locate it. Looked high and low. Searched and then, all um, over. And it says, this letter is your notice of the department's intention to remove the sign. You have 60 days from receipt of this notice to get the permit, remove the sign, or make a request to have a hearing before the Montana Transportation Commission to show why the sign should not be removed. Oh, it wow. says you can mail this request to the guy's name who did it. Who did the survey? So that's his official position with the state. It must be one of his varying responsibilities. Oh, actually, he has a title here: Outdoor Advertising Control Right of Way Agent. Mm, agent. So, I, my first thought was to send him a an email back, <laughs> telling him right. all my thoughts of this is what my taxpayer money is having some dude yeah. out driving the roads, looking at every. Small sign in small towns. Anyway, I... Advertising. It says it's an advertising thing. Eh, that's a stretch, you know. Well, which all codes are written to be able to be stretched. Did I ever tell you about that? What's the title of this book? Like three felonies a day or four felonies a day. But anyway, the average American commits like three or four felonies a day. (laughs) Really? Because the laws are written so broadly that just living your life, it's a normal human. You pretty much just know. They can adjust the law. I think there's a... I think it actually might have been a Soviet, someone from Soviet Union had a line that said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Oh, really? I guess I was, someone showed him me and on the field. Anyway, I emailed him back and told him I have no interest in getting a permit on this sign. So don't take 60 days, come get it now. <laughs> so come take it down now. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not going to get a permit for it. And then I proceeded to give him an extremely detailed long list of everything that they have to watch out for and fix an address in the pasture. Oh, to get in to remove to it. To get in to remove it. <laughs> nice. That's a good thing. Because of livestock and children and yeah. whatnot, they can't leave big concrete blocks, mm-hmm. holes, you know. Mm-mm. And I, I said, I've taken a good amount of photographic and video footage of the area. So uh-huh. if, if there is any dispute of, of damages you may cause, we can go back to video. And I also encourage them to take video themselves. And then when it comes to small town teams this is the kind of stuff that will fire people up right like people lose their minds around so i i told him i said i I have no idea who put the sign up i don't know who maintains it because if there's a new state title it goes on the sign i don't know who does any of this so i told him that i will i will send a copy of this letter to all the local newspapers and i'll make sure his contact information is in it so if there's anyone local that knows whose sign it is or right. actually who wants to take possession of the sign after they take it down. Right. Cause somebody's got to, they can contact him. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get a response yet? And then I, the last thing I wrote, <laughs> <laughs> I 
said, man, there are some long, lonely roads out of Montana, driving from town to town, making sure state championship signs are in <laughs> compliance with this permitting. I said, someone's got to do that job. Stay safe out there. <laughs> <laughs> then I, well, then I turned the whole thing over to the <laughs> local newspaper who, our local newspaper, he gets pretty fired up at pretty things that home, he thinks right? is government overreach. Uh-huh. I have since gone on to find out that that was an Eagle Scout project that someone put, replaced the old sign with this one. And they had to come up with a few hundred dollars for permitting to put the sign up. Oh. So, so somebody somewhere, someone somewhere has got it. But that's a felo- is Was felonious mean like a felony thing that you're doing? Yeah, Someone's doing like a it. felony ridden Eagle project. Oh, man. <laughs> Good for you, though. Good for you, because like. This letter makes it seem like, oh man, you know, but as you talk about it and the way that you word it and your response, you're like, you know, <clears throat> like if I was the guy and I was reading your email, I'd be questioning, do we, do we need to be doing this? Is this really, because if they're doing it here, you know, they got to be doing it all over the state. Come and get it, dude. Come and get it. I love that you have such a good way of being able to, to do these things. Like someone, this. someone I showed it to looked up the guy and found him on Facebook. He's a mid twenties kid mm-hmm. doing duck lips in his selfie. Oh, from guess what state? Cali. Who do Montanans blame all of our problems on? California. <laughs> from California. <laughs> oh, oh. Mm. You know, there's people from California listening right now, shaking their head. Why did you send us this guy? <laughs> you should have kept him. <laughs> oh. oh, but but I, they really couldn't have. So anyone anyone person. not from Montana listening to this, I don't remember a period in my life where not every problem Montana has is not blamed on Californians <laughs> moving Californians. into the state. Californians <laughs> moving in. <laughs> so right? so I say that jokingly because that is a. I think people think it is completely serious, but it's just very comical to me because there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing that's happened in the state that people don't like that is not blamed on Californians. Right. Right. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, but anyway, so that, yeah, that was midweek. I think it was anything else that went on. Do you want me to follow up with my little? Yeah. Let's hear how your audit went. So yeah, I, I, first of all, I got a, an email just out of the blue that says, here's your audit results for your trucking company. Let me, let me interject. If anyone who is, has not listened to all the episodes or has missed episodes here or there, Jackson gave out some handy advice for anyone that's owner operators. He was requested in an audit to provide five years of receipts. It was five, four or five. I've forgotten now in the details, but yeah, literally the receipts, they, they said, we need your fuel receipts from... December of 2019. And as I mentioned in, in a previous episode, I came up with like everything. Like I got everything they asked for. I somehow magically had it all except for one month in the period that they requested. And I just, I couldn't come up with it. It was a short month. I didn't do a lot of trucking, but I, it was like four receipts I was missing out of that month. And I said, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know. Is that how much is it per offense? I don't know. Well, the results came down. I get an, an email, an official email first from the state saying, here's your results. And I open up the email and they had mistakenly sent me the official confidential results of somebody else's audit. 
from some other trucking company. <laughs> and it was interesting because this just go to show you how silly some of these things can be. It was an audit for a Ford dealership somewhere. I can't remember where in the state, far Western Montana, little tiny family owned Ford dealership that maybe goes out of state, maybe goes to Spokane, you know, a few miles over the border for them to pick up some used cars. And that Ford dealership did pass with flying colors, their audit. So I, I informed them, you know, about mine and they said, Oh, sorry. So my results come down. I, I get a phone call from the gal that did the audit and she says, we need to schedule a phone call. And I'm like, Oh, well the Ford company just got an email. Did, is that, we need to have a phone call. And I'm like, that can't be good. Right. Can't be good. So I'm like, all right, all right. I'm trying to play it cool. Like, yeah, no, love it. How's tomorrow afternoon? So the phone call comes and she's like, okay, we went through the results and we found something. And I'm like, okay, what'd you find? Well, back in 2020, you were going through the state of Missouri and you neglected to produce the receipt. You wrote it on your report and the receipt number and everything, but the physical receipt was not there. So you owe, you're in violation, you know, and in, you owe the state of Missouri for a non-payment of, you know, a portion of their fuel taxes, which isn't exactly true because I actually, I did buy fuel there. So I did pay road taxes mm -hmm. for that tank fuel. I just didn't have the proof that I did it. Right. So, so I, I have no, I still don't know what to expect. So I'm like, well, okay, okay what, uh, what are we talking? She goes, well, after the, the penalties and the late fee and the, the interest that's accrued since 2020, <laughs> come on. She goes, you owe $11.59. <laughs> it's just like, oh, geez. that's what it was. And, and then she proceeds to, you know, so I'm like, well, what do, what do I do? And she goes, well, for things that are that cheap, sometimes we actually don't collect them. I'm like, okay, but I don't want this to be on my thing. So like it's $11. What? Well, we'll send you an official invoice when we email you all your stuff back. So I got the other day, I got an official invoice from the state of Montana to pay the $11. You cannot pay it any other way than credit card over the phone. So you actually have to call a human and run your card over the phone with the human from the state. Possibly your guy's other job. He probably does signs and does the, the collection phone calls for the IFTA uh -huh. audits. <laughs> but I, I paid it off, paid my $11 and, and that was it. And here was the funny part. When I was talking to her on the phone, I was like, so was there anything you saw? Do I need to do something better? My records, is there anything you don't like? And for you trucking folks out there, she goes, I don't keep individual trip mileages. I just keep monthly miles. So here's all the states I went through. Here's all the miles. I don't say this was, you know, Montana to Sioux Falls. This was Montana to Grand Island. This was Montana. I just do it all. And she goes, it'd really be nice for us on our end when we audit, if we knew each individual trip, that way we don't kind of have to guess where you were going on the roads that you took. And, and I'm like, okay, is that like a requirement? She's like, no, I just, it's just, a, you know, be nice. It's easier for us. Harder yeah. for you, easier for us. Yes. And I said, no, no requirement. Well, no. Cause when I got my official, you're done, here's all your stuff back. Congratulations. Go on with your life. No mention of this. So I was like, yeah. If the Montana department of transportation has 
enough man hours to send someone out to every little town in Montana to measure the signs from the center of the road to where the sign is <laughs> advertising state championships. They, I think clearly have the time to figure out the miles. Decipher my trips. Yeah. Right. Huh. So we're all, we're all clear, but I never did dig into you know, what would happen you know, on a serious note to you guys, what would happen if you didn't, they never said a word about the four receipts that I couldn't produce. I don't know if they just said, well, don't worry about that. Well, month. Let me ask you this. So you had written down all the data, right? You just didn't have the actual receipt to match the data. Probably fell on the floor, blew so away or something. The missing receipts. You didn't write down anything about those either. I had nothing. Well, they were on my, they're on my envelope. So they were written down, but I didn't have the physical receipts. But isn't that what happened in Missouri? You had written it down, but not right receipt. So, the only my suggestion is when you don't have the receipt, go back to your other data and put a big black line through it. That's <laughs> true. That's true. That's I mean, true. It it seems odd. Yeah. Yeah. I sh- and I, I didn't go through to match. I was just like, oh, here's here's the month. Looks like there's a bunch of oh, receipts in that envelope. Let's now someone listening who understands this, yeah, may answer this question for me if you can't. They're saying you you said you did it, but you don't have proof that you did it. Right. So we're going to, so we're going to make you pay for something that you already said that you did not. We're going to make you pay for something. We found that you did that. You didn't say you You did. You can't prove you. Right. Right. To the tune of $11 with interest. But I guess, I don't know. I'm I'm not making myself clear. It seems to me if you tried to hide it all, Mm -hmm. that's when they'd be like, yeah, you hid this. Here's your penalty. But you didn't hide it. It's right there saying I did it. Right. I guess the receipt proves that you did it. It's one of those things that you're like, well, I, I mean, <laughs> and it's pretty inconsequential because of the, the fineage for the other thing to be completely, they didn't even respond. Cause I asked them before I sent the stuff in, I said, Hey, cause they're always like any questions, just reach out. So I reached out, reach out. Hey, I'm reaching out. It's one of my least favorite terms, by the way. Hey, reach out to so-and-so I reached out. I, so I did that and never got a peep back. Like, can I give you a different month or well, not a word. So I don't know. I just sent it all, sent it all in 11 bucks, $11. Speaking of like very un phrases, you really dislike Mm -hmm. reaching out is one that you really dislike. Right. That one's never hit my radar. Really? But now I'm going to be very self-conscious. if I ever write it. Jackson doesn't like that. I will tell you the thing that it doesn't make my blood boil, but it makes my, my head want to explode. (laughs) Now I'm wondering if I say it. Have you ever been in a situation where someone's talking about the livestock trucking industry who's not in it? And you're like, well, as a truck driver, as a livestock truck driver, like when people say, well, as a fill in the blank, whatever you are, like, like as a dentist, I would, well, as a dentist, I would suggest this <laughs> or as a, when, oh, when people say that. I'm like, geez, come on, dude. Like, it's not as a, it's just, I'm asking you as a person, as a human, just, you know. You see it all the time in like news reports or news. Well, as a fill in the blank, I think this. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I understand you're trying to say, okay, my background is in this, so I maybe have some legitimacy. But when you say as a see, fill in the and blank, and that's the catch with saying as a trucker, because any kind of trucker, you're immediately going to lose credibility. So we we shy away from it because if you're like as a cow trucker, they'll be like, what? No. No. Now, if they say, if you say, you know, I've got, I've had a few years driving truck and hauling cows and my experience has been this, Mm -hmm. that's totally different Different to me. Like I'll, I'm, (laughs) 
Good to go. As a, when you say yeah. as a, like the a, foremost expert in the dental world, I would say. So the last week oh, has been chilly. For everyone. Chilly. Like everywhere. So my favorite story that's come out of this last week with the cold here, and we got, with the wind chill, I think the coldest that we were at, we had two days in a row, which were about 50 below. Here. Yeah. Yeah, we were the same in Lewistown. So, yep. Chilly. This last Monday. Wait. Me. Okay, you tell you, I, I need to explain wind chill too, because it's an interesting concept. So, wind chill, okay. When we say wind chill... Will you qualify it with uh, um, as, as a, a as a livestock hauler with a lot of experience in wind chill and the effect on a living being? I'm going to tell you that wind chill is a gnarly thing. Okay, so uh, most of you are going to know this, but I want to take it a step further than what you think of because I'm going to I'm going to share some stories from my week, and wind chill is going to play a huge factor into this. Okay, so I want you to understand this before we go on. Wind chill is say it's 20 degrees below zero. And the wind is dead calm. There's not a breath of wind. You go outside, it feels on your skin like 20 degrees below zero. If you go outside and it's 20 below zero and the wind's blowing 40 miles per hour, which it did here almost nonstop for days, you go outside and on your skin, even though it's only actually 20 below, nothing outside is any colder. If you took a, a heat gun and measured the temperature, the things... The inanimate objects, a piece of steel sitting out in your driveway is going to be 20 below zero. But with the wind blowing on your human skin that is holding heat inside of it, it's going to feel like 50 below zero. There's a chart that tells you. Same thing with humidity in the summer, right? It's 80 degrees, but when it's like crazy humid, it feels like it's 100 and something degrees out. It feels hotter to you. So, Wind chill, this becomes a, a topic of discussion for, for people with equipment. Like, does wind chill affect equipment? And the answer is yes, it does. You've seen you've seen that like pickups or semis driving down the road and they put a big old piece of cardboard in front of their radiator. They're doing that because as the the nasty cold wind, the 20 below zero air comes in to the front of your rig, it removes heat really fast from your radiator. Like it pulls the heat away and dissipates it to the point where your engine won't stay warm enough to even keep you warm in the cab. Like your heater will quit working. So you put a windbreak to stop that wind chill from hitting your radiator and pulling heat away. That's what wind does. That's what moving air does in the cold. It removes heat. So anything that has heat, it'll remove it until it hits the temperature that is you know, whatever the thermometer says. Make sense? You dig that? Did my shop teacher in high school always said windshield didn't affect equipment? I just it 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 won't make metal any colder than the actual temperature. So what I understand, but it removes. Heat. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's a weird. It's kind of weird. To, so I guess with a living creature, mm -hmm. you know, we we'll, we will create a, a layer of warm air around us, and with you know within the skin, whatever. Right. With the air blowing that away, I mean, think about you could be on a. A, 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 a nice summer day t-shirts fine you jump on a motorcycle and go for a drive with just shorts and t-shirt on you can get chilled up because the wind blowing removing the heat, removing heat. right just a vehicle running though doesn't rely on heat like a living creature so windshield wouldn't affect in that situation it do you would you agree or disagree i 
I I used to I used to think windshield does not affect equipment. I've changed my mind. It it does in all ways. It it removes heat from your from your vehicle, from your equipment. Your your transmission, it removes heat from your transmission to the point where your truck always is kind of shifting hard because the oil can't get hot enough. So if the wind would quit blowing, your transmission will start catching up and it'll get warm and oh, all of a sudden your shifter starts working mm-hmm. a little easier. So it does. I have to say that it does affect equipment. And and there'll be probably people that comment and are like, no, 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 no. But it it does. Well, can they say as a as a if they want to argue owner. with you and think it's not true? <laughs> can they say as a fill in the blank? And I've got something I'm gonna share later that's a really interesting. This really illustrated it to me how wind chill can affect your fuel. So this last Monday was kind of when things started rolling in. Uh, my my dental assistant who I work with the most had previously been two weeks in the Bahamas. <laughs> so she got back from that into this. She got back on Sunday and then Monday, that's what she came back into. So she had a couple of things going for her. She had been in a tropical climate. So she, you know, living on a sailboat in a beach for two weeks. So her body was a little bit climatized to something warmer. I'm going to say she probably had a good time. So there's a little bit of detoxing going on. <laughs> she got back. So when she came into the office Monday morning, she was, she was hunched over almost completely in half and wrapped in her coat so tight. I almost <laughs> couldn't see her. She looked miserable. <laughs> she just said, so, so cold. Like so cold. She, she was dying. She was so cold. And I thought, oh yeah, it's colder than the Bahamas. You. And it was still dark out. And as, as it got light, I was looking out the window and I saw her, her car parked out there. I said, hey, is your, is your window supposed to be down? And she's like, no, it's not down. I said, your, your passenger's driver's side window's down. She's like, what? And so she looks, and sure enough, it was. She had driven about 30 miles. Oh. oh. <laughs> Cold with her window down. And how, do you, how do you do that? I think she was so discombobulated. Just so out of her just, um, just detoxing. No, you know, just really cold. <laughs> just so out of it that she didn't realize that that back passenger window was down. So her, uh, her normal cold atmosphere that she was coming back to, she, she added a very strong wind chill she to it. She was really it. rolling. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Ask her about wind chill. Oh, man. <laughs> So that, that was kind of my start to the cold week. We survived it fine. Well, your water's livestock water held up. My livestock waters did great. I put in, I always want to say Corbett, but I think it's Cobet. Oh, the brand of waters you're talking I'm about. I'm looking this up real quick. That's the biggest challenge when it gets cold. Livestock water, their feed intake, what do they say? It doubles just about? I sure mean, can. They will eat so much more hay to stay warm and then... The other catch is trying to keep water's thought out. Okay, so I put in this last year, I put in six of these Cobet, C-O-B-E-T-T, um, frost-free waters. Uh, they don't claim to not have the water freeze, but it's, they say it'll protect all your pipes and everything on, inside, which is the nightmare when that stuff freezes. Right. Yeah. If you have ice on top, I mean, easy. Break that, break that off. So when we were down real cold, I did get, I did get a little bit of ice on top, but I, no problems. Just a, just a quick tap with the heel on my foot and pipes didn't freeze though, huh? No. And even on those coldest nights, if, if they were drinking, I would come out 24 hours essentially after breaking ice once 
and it was, I'm going to call it a little bit of slush. It hadn't frozen completely. So if they were drinking, it was, it was staying free. Keeping us present. So can't complain. That's impressive. Um, everything, everything made it through. Tractors ran fine. Diesel didn't gel? No diesel gel. Plug the tractors in. They fired all, they all fired right up. No problems. No gel diesel. So, so we did good. That's good. Cause that's cold, man. Cold. Anyway. Oh, so I had the the fun stuff, laughing at someone else's cold. <sighs> Let's hear. Maybe I can laugh at your. You'll be your laughing. It just, it just. I went through like such a roller coaster of, like I've got this. I've got the perfect plan. This week was basically a lesson in. Have some of you guys before had the the plan where you've got everything plotted out? You have your schedule down. You you know if I can just get along. If I don't have any breakdowns, I don't have any issues. I'm I'm gonna be out. I'll be back. There's no there's just no reason for anyone really to be out when it's twenty to twenty-five below zero and the wind is blowing as hard as it did, which for me was the surprise of the whole week was the wind. I've driven through a lot. Oh, I thought you were gonna say the surprise was that you were out. <laughs> that I was out in. <laughs> I, it, it, so I'll just let me just start from the beginning of my week. So this is our last, leading up to Christmas, it's our last week of hauling cattle, basically, because the bulk of what we haul this time of year is sale barn work, where I've got a customer in Nebraska that buys cattle out of all the auction yards in Montana, and the auction yards typically have their last sale early in Christmas week. So did a little coordinating with my guys down there, and our initially our real cold was supposed to come in Tuesday night, you know, Monday was going to be and dip down cold, but not like this, at least where we're at. You guys were a day ahead of us, I think. But in Lewistown, it was, you know, decent. If you get, just get home by Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, you're going to be okay. It's just that first night. So I, we have this plan. They have a load. I'm supposed to pick up from two different sale barns out in the far Western Montana out of Butte and then work my way over to the East and pick up in Three Forks, which is near Bozeman, Montana, and pick up those two bunches, make my way down to Grand Island and unload and boogie on out. Where's Grand Island? Grand Island is kind of South Central, a little bit East of Central Nebraska. If you're wondering on right along I-80. So let me think. So I get all set up and I'm all planned to, to load Monday night. I had been doing some previous trucking. I get back into the state. I'm just on my way to go load this deal. And my, my buyer from Nebraska calls and he goes, Hey, where are you at? Which is usually not a good thing. So I say, I'm you know, a couple hours away from, from Butte where I'll, I'm going to load tonight because of this weather. Oh, and he goes, I, ah, shoot. He goes, I didn't think you were going to load till Tuesday morning. And so I, I had a truck come up free and I thought I could kind of move things forward. And I, I sent a truck to load your load and I was going to shift you to another town to have you load a little later on. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We have this death bomb coming. I was like, you got to get a hold of this truck and shut him off because, you know, I, I don't like to put my foot down, but I was like, I'm, if I don't get this load out tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going home. So 
he, you know, and I, if I could load Monday night, I could unload in Nebraska Tuesday morning, mid morning, unload, turn around and hammer back home, be home Wednesday morning. That's my plan. Well, he gets the truck shut off, kind of finally gets a hold of this other truck and he ended up taking half my load. I, I took the, the far west cattle. He took the Bozeman cattle. So to fill up and be done, I had to make a second, we call it a pick, a second pick in Billings. So this seems like it shouldn't matter. So why does it matter if you have to pick in Bozeman or Billings? Like, what's the big deal? Well, by the time I load in Bozeman, and excuse me, by the time I load in Butte and I get all the way to Billings, it's about two in the morning. And Billings had just had a big sale, their big last sale of the year. So I roll in and there's like three or four trucks waiting to load. Bozeman has no trucks waiting to load. It's a tiny little sale barn. Their cab, they had their sale a few days before that. There's, there's nothing waiting for me to keep me from loading Bozeman. Billings, different story. So I have to sit from two in the morning until about 7 a.m. until I can load. So, of course, I'm like, well, I'll take a nap, I guess. Get a little sleep while I can. Well, when I wake up from my nap, there's two new trucks that got ahead of me. So I'm like, okay, well, and, and right now the weather's fine in Billings. It's not like it's nasty or nothing. Well, I get loaded. I get out of Billings at about 9 a.m., 8 a.m. time I get loaded and finally pulled away and on my way. Whereas if I had been able to load in Butte and Bozeman, by 9 a.m. I'd have been halfway across South Dakota. But I lost all that time in Billings. So now I'm like, not good. Because I'm looking at the weather. And all this death bomb starting to develop. And they're, they're actually now saying it's going to be worse than we predicted. It's going to be colder. Now there's going to be all these winds blowing, which we weren't expecting. So I get down. I get unloaded. It's, it's late Tuesday night. It's midnight Tuesday. Previously by midnight Tuesday, I thought I was going to be back into Montana six hours from pushing home. Well, now I'm just, I'm to Nebraska and I'm shot. Cause I have, I haven't hardly slept, you know, for, for two days now. So I, I get unloaded and I'm like, should I just try to wander my way up? Just dead on my feet. Well, it was seven degrees in Nebraska, which is warm enough for me to shut my truck off. I hate sleeping when my truck's running. It drives me nuts. So I'm like, I'm going to shut my truck off. I'm going to get a good sleep. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to just have, at least have some energy to take on the day. And I'm really glad that I did because that day turned into the most intense, stressful horror show that I've ever had in my entire career trucking. <laughs> and, and it just, it really, it really surprised me because normally we talk about like bad roads, right? Like it's slick and you're worried about sliding off the road. Those were not the issues. Roads were beautiful, like just bare. There's some snow blowing across, but it was, it was well, it was 15 below zero. So the roads aren't going to get slick. They're fine. So I wake up in Grand Island now, you guys. It's Wednesday morning. And I'm like, if I push hard, I can get all the way home today. It's going to get sketchy because I see this, all this stuff coming down through the Black Hills of South Dakota, you know, emergency travel only. And I'm, but I've been through a lot of that stuff. I mean, it's what we do. It's every winter in Montana. So I get up, I get into South Dakota. And I'm going to interject here another little memory for you guys that are listening because I guess that about half of you have seen this video on Instagram this week. 
It's a video, and I'm going to talk about this a little later. It's this video of this guy that's parked in the truck stop. He looks out his passenger window, and it's completely drifted over. There's like it's totally drifted. He goes out his driver's side and shoots a video, and his whole truck's buried in a drift in the in the truck stop parking lot, along with a couple trucks next to him. And that was in Vivian, South Dakota. So I get up to Vivian, South Dakota, where that video was shot. You know, it it's all right. Everything's good. Visibility has gotten really bad at this point. So I'm working my way. My plan is to go westbound across I-90 through South Dakota. And then I'm going to jump off at uh, basically just past Sturgis. I'm going to jump on Highway 212, come into Montana. I'm going to stay south and uh, come up through Billings, shoot home. Well, I get to Vivian, things are, you know, decent, but starting to fall apart. Weather-wise, I get on the freeway at Vivian and it's, it's just a full-on ground blizzard, South Dakota ground blizzard. So I start checking the weather stations because every, these apps they have now, these websites, they're very informative. Like they have cameras and each camera has an actual wind speed thing on it. So you can see like the live wind speeds. Well, it's, it's 25 sustained. 35 mile an hour gusts, which is enough to blow a wall of snow about, I don't know, 40 or 50 feet high from north to south, just to where you can go about 30, 35 miles an hour. So I'm picking my way very much on edge. At this point, you're, you're not listening to music. You just got to, you just honed in and I'm nine hours from home and I start going and I, I look across the freeway and every so often you see a truck come. Well, I just noticed like there hasn't been any traffic on the other side of the freeway, which is something a lot of people, motorists might not even think of. But if you ever see the traffic vanish on the opposite side of the freeway, you better start doing some investigating because it's for a reason. So the reason, of course, was they shut the freeway off about 40 miles ahead of me. They closed it off at Wall, South Dakota. So, and it's Christmas week, right? Like this is rolling into Christmas. So let's stop right there for a second and talk about ground blizzards. Mm. If you've never been in an intense ground blizzard, Mm -hmm. it's terrifying because you, you can't see anything. Mm -hmm. The, the, the air in front of you is the same color and complexion as the sky and the clouds. It all just becomes just this winterscape. Of nothing in front of you. Just can't. I would I would say I've been in some really dense fog driving, uh-huh. and I I think a ground blizzard, an intense ground blizzard, is worse than intense fog. Mm-hmm. When it leads to another thing, it leads to the the, the fog like visibility. It also leads to finger drifts. Remember Rooster and Billy Jack talking about that road closure. Dad kept busting the finger drifts, and Bill yeah. was just following along. You start getting those. Usually ground blizzards, it's when you got wind mm-hmm. and so it, it's just blowing everything basically at ground level. So yeah. it, instead of like a, you might think a blizzard, you know, the snow coming from the sky really heavy, right. it, it feels more like the, the blizzards coming from left to right or right to left yeah, instead just, of up and down, it's mm-hmm. straight across. Exactly. And you may have seen, do you see any of the pictures of the underpasses in, in the Dakotas that were just totally buried? That's what ground blizzards do. They fill up the underpasses, clear up to the, to the road that goes over the freeway. They fill it completely up with snow and they have to punch their way through and dig them out. That's so, ground blizzard. So that's why the freeway had been closed. The Jackson right. has found himself. Yeah. <laughs> so I jump on and I'm like, I am not, I am not. 
spending four days because I'm looking at the weather. There's no reprieve. This is Wednesday morning. It says that it's supposed to let up Friday afternoon. I'm like, uh uh-uh, this is not happening to me. And it's Christmas week and and family's in town and like this, this desire to finish the season. This is the last load before Christmas. So I jump on my map and I see that if I cut north up through Phillips, South Dakota, I can jump on Highway 34, which leads you. It's a two lane that just parallels the freeway and leads you into Sturgis. I'm like, I, <laughs> like, I am a smart man. Look at this. So I jump off and going north, I'm like, hey, these roads aren't that bad. I mean, roads were always good, but the visibility got better because now I'm going straight into the wind and it feels a little more like a conventional blizzard, not the kind that makes you dizzy and sick. And so I roll up, I get up to Highway 34 and same thing. There's not a lot of traffic on that highway, but I never did pass anybody. So I pull up my app again, 30 minutes later, you know, after I've got off the freeway. And guess what else is closed? Highway 34. They shut her down. They're just like, it's whatever the reasons are, you know, they just, it's too silly to maintain. It's too getting too crazy out here. So we're shutting it down. So now I've left the comfort of, the, at least the freeway has a lot of services. And this is the first moment where I was like, I may have made a mistake. You know, and I, I like to feel like I'm pretty blameless in what my decisions I make are like, no, they're the right ones always when it comes to trucking. But I started to go, hmm, if, if I get stuck out, like I'm, there's nothing out here. There's a couple little towns that maybe dried up in the seventies and eighties. Like there's, they're not, they're just a, a name on the road. There's actually no town. So <laughs> now I've got to decide and you guys got to understand the whole while. It's now, you know, 15, 18 below zero. And the winds have picked up to a 40 mile, 35 mile an hour sustained, 40 mile an hour gusts. And it's just so cold that if you do encounter an issue, you're in a remote spot. Now you've taken yourself away from the flow of people and humans to where you're, hmm, you're going to get cold really fast. If your truck shuts off, the inside of your truck, the windshield is going to suck all the heat out of your truck in just a very short amount of time so now I'm left with these options do I turn around and go back to the freeway that I know is closed accept my fate go back and find a truck stop and just park there and and just say forget it forget it just forget it but this overwhelming desire to be home took over and led me to go there's one more two lane that goes north yet up to a little cow town called Faith ironically I was like if I can just make it to Faith then I can hit Highway 212, which is another highway that parallels the freeway even further north. You know, all these roads go east to west across South Dakota. So I make the turn, kicking her up north, 30 miles up to Faith. So I get up to Faith and I make it pretty decent. It's gotten colder now and the sun's just about to go down. But I'm feeling pretty good. Like I made the right decision. And this is where things took a turn from feeling good to hopeless. I don't, I like, I've, I don't get scared on the road anymore. Like I've kind of been there. You've, you know, you've done this, you've loaded all the crazy cattle. You've, you broke down. You've had major breakdowns that disable you right in the road. All this stuff. You usually don't get scared, but this was the stretch where I actually had a moment where I was scared. I feel stupid even saying that, but like I feared as I was sitting there. So I hit faith. Now, my goal, my plan was if I can get from Faith over to Belfouche, it's going to clear up and it does. It clears up in Montana and I'm going to make it home tonight still. 
It's, you know, it's just about sundown. So it's what, four thirty, five o'clock. And just as the sun's setting, all of a sudden it just gets beautiful. They're just as everything opened up and the sun's just setting out there. The ground blizzard kind of abated. There was no snow there. So the wind was still blowing, but there's no blizzard. And I, I remember I looked, I was doing 65, 68 miles an hour. And I was like, I, this was, this was the right choice. I made it. So I'm gone. I got the tunes back on. I'm shooting Instagram, shoot out a video like, hey, everybody worrying about me. I made it. Then the sun went down and it was like, just flicked a switch. All of a sudden, the ground blizzard completely engulfs everything. And I'm slowing it down. I'm slowing it down, slowing it down. And I, I'm going maybe 25 now. So you've hit faith and you've headed west, yeah. headed west again. I'm west out of faith. And from there, it's 70 miles to Belfouche, 80 miles, something like that. And first 20, 30 minutes, I'm rocking. I'm making time. I'm like, I'm going to catch up. I'm going to get home. You know, I'll drive straight through the night. I'll get home first thing in the morning. You know, make some lemonade out of a lemony situation. Then the sun went down. Now, I the whole day I'd been driving in a whiteout ground blizzard, but I could at least, you know, 25, 35, 40 miles an hour. I could see what was going on. This was different. Sun goes down and now you're at the mercy of your headlights. You have no light from the sun, none of that going on. and it got really hard to see. But then it seemingly out of nowhere, my whole truck was just completely engulfed to where I couldn't even see. I could barely see the bumper on the front of my truck out my window. That's about four or five feet out of my front windshield. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, it just went dark. Like this ground blizzard got so intense. It engulfed my headlights and it just got dark. I turned my flashers on and I could see more from the yellow lights of my flashers. When they would flash, I could kind of see like, Oh, huh. I'm moving. And you know, when, when you get in a whiteout from passing a truck, like there's a, there's this moment where you're like, I can't see, but then it goes away and you're like, Oh, got it. You get just past that moment where you get in like this really sick zone where you're like, I can't see, I can't see. Okay. I, I can't see. And I don't know what's in front of me. And it just, it's when you just go past that that regular moment of whiteout. And I hit that and it just never went away. Like it never quit. There was no end of it. It wasn't like, Oh, <laughs> if I can just get past this truck, the roads will clear up and I'll see again. It was just that. And so now I slow down and I don't even know if I'm moving. I'm having a hard time telling if I'm even moving. So I look down, I'm going five miles an hour. And, and I'm like, I, 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 usually you can see the white line or something. I can't see anything. So I roll my window down. And I stick my head out and I look straight down off my step and I can just see when my flashers would flash, it would illuminate the, the yellow line just for a second. So it's like, I can see now I can't, I can see, but at least there's like this rhythm and you get in and you're like, okay. And thankfully the wind was blowing, hitting my passenger side. So I could open my window and I wasn't just getting a full 40 mile an hour wind right in my face. And this is where I started to get scared because I'm like, if, I can't stop. Everything was just like, stop. And, and everything tells you, stop, just stop, stop. And you're like, I can't stop. If I stop, what's going to happen behind me? Someone's going to come rolling in and rear end me. That's what causes, we talk about it. That's what causes these pileups. And so I'm playing this game where I'm like, I'm moving. I have to keep moving. And I'm trying to watch for lights behind me in my mirror, just some light to see if I need to try to speed up real quick. But at the same time, watching in front of me, because I'm like, Anybody that's out there, I guarantee has stopped and they're just going to be sitting on the road in front of me. So it's this game between, is there someone in front of me? There's the yellow line. Is there someone behind me? 
just boom, 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 back and forth <laughs> for like, like 20 miles. And after I got over the initial, you know, sickness of the situation, I started to kind of gather myself and okay, here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. But this is, this was the scared part. This is why I was scared. If I drove off the road, I'm on highway 212, tiny little two lane out. Like there's nothing out there. It's even le- it's, it's way more remote than highway 34, which is already remote in that part of the state. If I drive off and there's a lot of cuts and, you know, steep ditches, literally, if I just tip over off the side of the road, no one will see me. If I get pinned in my cab, if my engine dies, it's 50 below zero wind chill. Like you would just lay there and die. Like, what are you going to, you can't get out and go anywhere. Even if you do, you know, you can crawl out and get some, get bundled up. How long are you going to make it at 50 below zero wind chill? It, we always talk about like, oh yeah, you know, trucking's scary, but it finally dawned on me that like, if you don't play your cards right, you could die out here tonight. And I've never had that before. I've always been like, oh yeah, you know, I got through, but that's kind of what got me scared. Yeah. So let me, let me just back up real quick and I'll, I'll tell you how this story goes. And I told everybody on Instagram, I was going to tell this on the podcast so they could tune in because they were kind of in the midst of this with me. In fact, I'll probably, I'll try to have Matt insert some footage from Instagram so you can see what I was talking about with this storm. I had called a friend of mine earlier in the day from Western South Dakota to ask him a road report. He's the guy that I haul the concrete toilets for. I do that summer gig. And Troy Vanderboom from Newell, South Dakota. I called Troy and I'm like, hey man, what, what's it look like? I kind of like everywhere. Okay. Well, he called me just kind of randomly hours later and said, hey, if you can make it to Newell, I really think you need to park your truck here. And of course, I'm like, here's my problem. If I shut it off, you know, it's all going to freeze down. I'm not going to get home. He goes, hold on, hold on. If you can get to Newell, I can get you into my concrete shop. He has an 80 foot wide by 200 foot long, just massive building that he pours precast concrete in all winter. So it's insulated and heated. He goes, you can put your whole truck, your whole trailer, park it in there, let it thaw out, come out to the house, have some dinner and, you know, clean your pants out, clean your pants out, (laughs) do some laundry. So Im- immediately, as soon as I get into this, this spot, I look and it just so happened that because I went up to faith, I was in line to drop right into Newell. I was 15 miles from Newell from a shop that I can park my truck in. So I press on, I do it and I just claw my way into Newell. He comes down, opens, you know, opens the shop, lets me put my truck in and spent the night, got up the next morning. Everything was nice and loose, fired up, backed out into the storm and headed her into Montana. Within two hours, I was out of the, out of the wind and out of the craziness and I made it home. But right behind me that day, they shut the whole rest of the state down. They're like, all the roads, it's all done. No more travel, nothing anywhere. So I was one of the last trucks, I think, to make it out of South Dakota into Montana. But it was, it was just stress beyond belief. So I, I, I knew that after we, after, I mean, I called you that, that next morning was like, I, we gotta, we need to get together so we can, can get on the podcast and talk about this. Let me just share, can I just share a few things kind of, I know we're getting close on time. I want to share a few things that I've learned from this because I think everyone can take some stuff from it. Let me tell you the, the irony of this story was that a year ago 
I took a trip from Montana to Minnesota this week, a year ago, right after Christmas, a year ago. I'm driving across I-94 and my dashboard starts to flicker. And whenever it would flicker, it would shut my engine off. 20 below zero with a load of cattle on going to Minnesota. Truck would just shut off for a second and then turn right back on. It's like two in the morning. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> and then it's fine. And it wasn't like when you hit a bridge, it shuts. It was just this random, just a ghost in my electronics. So I'm so on edge and I'm so freaked out and I'm just ugh, so stressed because I got cattle. I got me, the wind's blowing. And I get to thinking and I realize I have a social media friend in Minnesota. So first thing, in the, I mean, six in the morning, I message him. I, I make it out across. I get my cattle unloaded and I message this guy and I'm like, hey, I don't, I don't have any confidence that I'm going to make it home. Is there any, anyone that can look at this? He goes, I've got a heated shop. I rent a heated spot in this shop. He goes, come down. I'll, you can put your truck in. Just thaw it out and start looking some stuff over. So I go down to his place. He backs his truck out into the cold, leaves it running all day. Let's me have access to his tools. This was Terry Call Me is his name. And gives me access to his tools. And I do some research and I find that I had a faulty a little motherboard relay. That was that's a typical problem for Freightliners. So he he takes me in his car, drives me like 70 miles away on just horrible ice roads, wrecks everywhere, drives me down, picks this part up, brings me back. We get all set up, hooked up, go on my way, everything's fine. But this really emphasized to me the importance of having connections, like being connected to people and fostering relationships. Like there is maybe a reason that you should get to know people in the towns that you drive through that, you know, your social media shouldn't just be mindless garbage. Like there should be some substance and some meaning behind it. Because last year I had this connection with Terry that, you know, saved my bacon. This year, I've got this, this work connection with Troy, completely saved my bacon. And so it, I was, as I was thinking back on those, I just thought those are both situations that it took, you know, it takes fostering some relationship with those, you know, regularly checking in, calling these guys, having a, you know, a friendship with them. And in doing that, I mean, it's, it's just two, two, two things that could have just gone so much the other way were saved by having a you know, a, a solid connection with someone. I think that's something that Rooster had in a lot of the towns that he drove through for years is he had connections in a lot of the towns, which I know that he fell back on at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. It just takes it from like, I got to go from Montana to here and I'm just in no man's land for a thousand miles. It just makes it like, if I can just get to this town, if I can get to this town because you're connected and you're so right with Rooster. Do you have any you know, as you say that, I kind of think, well, how do you even make those connections? I think one thing is, you know, you've been on the road for a while, pull into these towns and find where the elementary school is and park your truck across the street from it and just get outside there and just kind of stand around. <laughs> Start talking to the kids. <laughs> your parents yeah. are out. <laughs> you will definitely make connections with either law enforcement or, or parents. Oh, that's funny, man. Let me talk real quick about whiteouts, driving in whiteouts. Because there's times like that where roads are open, you can go, but it's whiteout. So the best advice is don't. <laughs> First option is just don't go out in it. But if you find yourself out in it and you got you to gotta be where you're at. If I could put this into a phrase, to drive in a whiteout, you need to go fast enough not to wreck. 
and you need to go slow enough not to wreck. So what I say, what I what I mean is, you got to go fast enough that someone's not going to rear end you, and you're not going to cause the next pile up, big huge pile up out in Ohio this week on the yeah. turnpike. And it, I guarantee it was from something like this where someone was just they weren't going fast enough. If you can't go fast enough to keep from pile ups happening behind you, you you need to step. You just need to get off the road. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just get off the road. So you need to go fast enough not to wreck, slow enough not to wreck. You got to be slow enough that you can react. You, you can only go as fast as your reaction time will allow you to go. So that if something does appear out of the whiteness, and I like to drive, this sounds weird, but I drive with my eyes, with sunglasses on and my eyes really wide open. And you can make me just make out those shadows before they appear. And allows you to move over and, and you know get around and keep going. But keep that in mind, you guys, if that makes sense. Another reason to understand mechanics a little bit as an operator, something that'll set you apart from just a, a placeholder to becoming an operator is knowing how your truck feels. Know, know what's normal. Like, what should your truck feel like when you floor it? When you put give it all the throttle? What should it sound like? What should it feel like? Because when you get in this cold weather, if you know what it should sound like, you'll know when something starts getting funky. Meaning if your fuel's starting to gel up a little bit, you'll go, mm, when I give it the full throttle, it, it, mm, that's not right. Something, something's going on. And you can, you can get to a safe place before you just freeze up and get stranded somewhere out there in the middle of, ooh, in the middle of nowhere. So really important to, to know your stuff, not just crank the tunes and roll on because in these situations, you got to really be able to feel it. Hey, back to the whiteouts. Yeah. This is something you were doing that I have found is not intuitive to some people. And that's when you can't see, you're used to looking ahead and seeing what's ahead of you. When that happens with whiteouts, ground blizzards, is you have to look for the lines. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times those lines are out, you're looking down <laughs> out of your window right. to the extreme, to out of the front of your car looking for the lines just past your hood. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, we had a bad ground blizzard here. I was I was driving home from work and the car in front of me, you couldn't see hardly at all. I'm going to say about a car length was about all you could see. I could just see the, the taillights of the car ahead of me. And I was just watching, I was watching the, the white line just to the right, the right front of my car. But I saw this car drift all the way across into the oncoming lane of traffic and go off the road. Well, they went off on the oh, opposite side of the road. And within about a second, I'm not exaggerating, a second of going off of the road, a semi oh. oncoming came right out of the, right out of the, oh, right out of the whiteness. Right out of the white. Like, Jeez. it gave me such a shot of adrenaline that it, it made me feel sick to watch because I was watching that car just drift forward and back. I could tell the driver was uh, not looking at the lines. Yeah. And that's where I, that's where, I, and, and then, I got stopped and was able to help that driver get back on the road and say, here, just follow, follow me. Cause you can see my taillights, just follow mm -hmm. me. But talking to that driver, oh, man. they had never even heard or thought of the concept of looking down to, to look watch. for the lines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause you can't see what's in front of you. So you got to look for something. And that's all I was able to see, but Oh, it was so close. Oh, and it you was, imagine that right in front of you. Cause I watch, Oh, that car, car, car. And then it went off and then whoosh, that semi just came out of it. Oh. And, and the thing is, is none of them probably knew the semi probably had no idea. Cause it was so wide out. It's like, Oh, he probably didn't know that the, he almost, the driver of the car didn't know a semi had gone by. Had no didn't idea. know what semi even went by. Yeah. I said, 
that's when you know it's wide out oh. man, when nobody even has a clue they're like what i just about ran a car over so I'm when just... you're when you're talking about driving in whiteouts that's i think it seems intuitive to look for the lines yeah but that's not, all you can see yeah. but i realize it's not so keep that in mind you know there's another i'm glad you brought that up because that that brings to mind another whiteout not a ground blizzard whiteout but a, a passing a semi you know, if, if you're driving on a two lane and a semi passes you, they blow up so much dust that it creates a temporary whiteout or a snowplow can do mm-hmm. the same thing. So my advice there is when you see a semi coming, you know, like know that you're going to get whited out and you don't know what's behind the semi. There could be a long line of traffic, which means you have to stay in your lane or there could be nothing. So I always, I like to, to sl- get slowed down to a speed that I'm comfortable. I'm confident I'm moving and I can handle having no visibility for just a short bit. And like you said, look at the lines, see where the lines are at, see where your hands are at, and then just relax. And as you go by, just know that this is the lines. This is the road ahead. I know the road's straight here. These are the lines. Go through the whiteout and then it, everything reappears and you'll always find that you're just where you're supposed to be. If you'll just take a second to go, you know, don't be on your phone or listen to the radio and going, oh, crap. Oh, here's a whiteout. Because that's when it catches you off guard. You're like, what? So just see it coming. It is a bad feeling. It's just the worst. But the thing about it, too, is it, it, it almost, it's disorienting, too. Mm-hmm. It's not just like you closed your eyes and it was darkness. Dude, dude check this, check this it's out. It's just this right. swirl. Of- you don't know what's what. So old Roscoe down in Billings, good friend, he said that he was talking to a UPS buddy the other day. And his UPS buddy goes, you know, things got bad. It was a whiteout. And he actually, he goes, I'm, I'm trying to grab gears in this whiteout. And I can't, I can't find first. I can't get in gears, high range, low range. I'm just, I'm reaching for gears and I can't get nothing. He goes, it finally dawns on me to look down. And he looks at his speedometer and he's, he's zero. He's not even moving. He thought he was going down the highway. And he's trying to grab gears and grinding. It was, it's that disorienting that you're like, no, I'm, I'm moving. You're not. You're parked. So he pushes his clutch in and clicks it in the gear. Uh, it, it's, but is it, that bad? It's, it's horrible. Ugh. I mean, the best thing is just just don't be out in it. But there's times where you're driving, you think it's it's, it's no ground blows. They're just fine. Right. But the conditions are just right that when when a truck comes by you, mm-hmm. or you know, even worse, a snowplow, and they're kicking up so much powder up in the air. It yeah, it's a yeah. Yep. It's an experience. Right. Last, let me do this one last thing because this was really interesting. This was probably one of the most interesting lessons of the week for me. Fuel, fuel temperature. And this is where I'm going to talk about wind chill. I'm going to bring this back in. My truck has fairings along the side, meaning basically plastic body panels that cover the fuel tanks. So you can't see the fuel tanks. They're covered. So when wind comes in, it hits my body panel instead of hitting my fuel tank. So it breaks the wind and then allows that fuel tank to retain more heat because it's not directly having wind suck heat right off the surface of the fuel tank. So I kept this, this little infrared heat gun with me. And every time I'd stop and get out, I'd, I'd open the tank and gun my fuel, the actual fuel in the tank. It's about 47 degrees inside my tank when it was that cold out. Then I would shoot the actual tank. Tank itself was like 25 degrees. So you can see how the heat, you know, that 25 degree tank is obviously going to dry heat away but the reason your fuel tanks stay warm is because your engine it sucks fuel from the tanks goes into the engine it only burns about half of it and the rest it kicks back into the tank 
so it has a hot hot fuel return and that hot fuel dumping in while you're driving keeps the tanks warm so i was like if i can make it to belfouche you know i'm going to top off my tanks at belfouche with some really good fuel i'm going to treat my fuel and i'm going to roll on so by the time that next morning that i got into belfouche first of all i noticed there was a truck that was gelled up in the fuel island he was stuck there and shut down and it's so cold he wasn't going to get out but i uh, i usually don't worry about fuel pouring into my tank because from the ground because the ground the tanks are underground which like your water tanks stayed thawed out because mm-hmm. they use heat from the ground right mm-hmm. so when you have fuel tanks that are buried underground you don't worry about the fuel check this out though it was so cold with the wind blowing and everything that the ground wasn't able to keep much heat i took my heat gun and shot the fuel coming out of the ground into my tank their fuel's treated for about 15 below zero. I shoot it, seven below zero. The diesel was seven degrees below zero coming out of the ground into my tank. That's so much colder than I expected it to be. I thought it would be, you know, 15, 20 degrees. Wasn't. Mm. So, so know this, that if you're in a really extreme cold situation, don't let your tanks get down low because you're going to be putting cold fuel from the ground into your tanks. Whereas if you fill them when they're already half full, that's 40, 40 to 50 degree diesel in your tanks. You're going to add zero degree, seven below zero degree fuel to it. It's going to keep that diesel warmer. And the, the science behind this is that Roscoe, same friend, he was out in some of this and he, he was trying to get to a cheap fuel station. So he rolled in out in Missoula and he was just, he goes, I, I couldn't have much left in my tanks at all. And he goes, my truck never gels up. I'm, you know, it's always, I'm always good. And he goes, he starts filling it. And he goes, as I'm sitting there watching, is my stacks are clean. They're, he goes, I, cry, I high idle it up 1500 RPMs. My engine's really running while I'm fueling and clean, clear smoke. And then he goes, all of a sudden that's, as I start fueling, smoke starts turning blue coming out of his stacks because the diesel was so cold going in, it was already starting to give his fuel system problems. So he goes, couple what happened to me with what you found with your heat gun even if it costs you expensive fuel he goes you got to fill up at a half tank because i almost gelled up from all this cold fuel he didn't thankfully he went and got a bunch of treatment real fast and shoved in there and, and got it but don't assume that because diesel's coming out of the ground it's okay to put in your tanks because mm. <laughs> it was a lot colder than i then I realized, but I've never been more thankful to get home, thankful for good friends, good connections, lessons learned. Would I do it differently next time? I can't really say that I would. I mean, the alternative, it's, it's hard to say. I can't say that it was right or wrong. It's just what I did. So I'll, I guess I'll leave it at that. But uh, some major lessons learned. And hopefully some of you, I know a lot of you are going through it this week too, but that was Yeah, it would, this will be something to probably sit down and talk through from the beginning. Should you have done this? Should right. you have done this? And you're like, well, you shouldn't have taken the load to start with. Well, is the last load of the year. Like, like there's going to be no more sales for two weeks, three weeks. Those cattle just be sitting there. I guess maybe, maybe said I'll do it after Christmas. I'm going to miss this weather window and I'm I'm not comfortable being out in it. You know, I could have done that probably. And now, of course, now looking back at all the stress and craziness of it if you saw forecasts for a storm like this coming in in the future would you push push your load back and say yes i would yep so figure it out i would have said we we missed we we screwed this up i'll 
just feed it till after Christmas and I'll, I'll load it up the day after, you know, I'll find a truck. We'll get her done, but we're going to have to feed them for three or four days. Yeah. How about coming home, leaving the freeway? Oh, getting off of the, like the safety corridor. Yeah. I carry a lot, a lot, a lot of cold weather gear in my truck for this reason. Had I just had my truck die, I'm confident that I could have, I had, I have a lot of gear. I could have bundled up and, and survived until somebody ran into me, but that's not most trucks in the cold on the roads. So no, I would, I would recommend probably stay the course and unless you, you know, you're well prepared for being where there's, that. yeah, I gotta read something. There's a, there's a guy following social media. I've, I've actually taken a course from him. His name is Mike Glover, former, former army special forces guy. He got out of the the military and he started a he calls it Fieldcraft Survival, trying to find this post what he wrote. But his his company is really designed trying to have people prepared for whatever whatever circumstances they find themselves in. And he just posted today, pulling it up here so I can read it. Big storms in New York this you know this past week. And he posted a headline brutal weather has killed at least 34 people across the country and then the headline goes on and said dead bodies found in snowbanks and cars after this huge storm blast new york and you know people dying in snowbanks in their cars he said he goes look the storm was predicted weeks in advance we still have people die waiting on emergency services to rescue them thousands spent christmas in airports after it was reported that flights would be shut down hundreds stranded on highways caught in storms path that was predicted he said we need to be more self-sufficient even if that means preparing for the worst times the storm everyone who got stuck in their cars knew the storm was coming right yet they were ill prepared enough to not be able to sit in their car in cold weather until right until someone comes and digs them out right so yeah i mean there's there we could probably talk for for a long time about uh, mistakes you made Mm-hmm. what you do different would you do anything different right but it all comes down to that if if you are going to be out in this kind of weather you gotta you've gotta have preparations in place in your vehicle to maintain core temperature mm-hmm. yeah. for a period of time this might be a time to to bring this up kind of segue into this we are moving the podcast youtube episodes off of your youtube channel right and starting a steady at the wheel podcast channel. That was what our plan was all along. Correct. In fact, we never even thought we'd ever put any podcasts on your channel, but so busy and so much going on that it was just easier to and begin to get it out, you know, and just like, Hey, check this out. You know, you had a, you had infrastructure, so to speak in place yeah. ended up going on there, but we had talked about from the beginning, if we were going to be doing a YouTube channel for this podcast, that it may be of interest or beneficial to not just have the podcast videoed and put on there, but to start doing other videos, instructional, educational of interest type stuff. For instance, a video that's just going through what you carry for emergency prep. If you, your truck shuts down and you know, walking through what you have, you know, just instructional videos, what you do to prepare your truck for cold weather, Mm -hmm. you know, what supplements, diesel supplements you're using. It may even be a, a, a neat thing to do is to, to get out, on bad roads and and stop if if you know if it's safe yeah and you know video the roads right 
you know, a ground level video of the roads when you're in the truck, you know, things to look for and what you're seeing that. And then if I'm seeing this, this is what I'm looking for, how I'm changing my driving patterns. Mm-hmm. If I'm seeing this, I'm not worried. I don't, I, you know, right. But you know, that was a dangerous week for a lot of people, including yourself. It was. Um, yeah. So glad you made it, man. That's yeah, a craziness. Oh, what, one last thing. When you put diesel treatment in with cold weather, anti-gel stuff, do you put it in before you fuel or after? I put it in before. Just to make sure it gets blended in there good right off the bat. Yeah. And the, the supplements that you use, Hotshot Secret, and then mm-hmm. I use Hotshot Secret. I was on their website recently, and they say to put it in before. Do they? Uh, that's, that's actually that's on the their official. instructions, yeah. yeah. Okay. Which makes me wonder, with, you know, if you have really cold diesel, that cold diesel is, that you're fueling up with is dumping into a puddle of anti-gel. If you don't do that, maybe that's a di- the difference between gelling right there, it, it, right in, the there in the pump. Like that guy was anyway poor dude i've got i've got one last tip but i'm going to save it for the next episode it has to do with that clip of every the guys all being drifted in i'm going to tell you i'll just give you this teaser i'm going to teach you how not to get drifted into a truck stop so that you don't become the next viral <laughs> video on instagram all right our instagram page is steady at the wheel podcast you can email us steady at the wheel podcast at gmail.com jackson's Instagram, Jack's Instagram and, and YouTube. Instagram would be at Chumanush, where you can watch my winter struggles. <laughs> and then uh, YouTube, of course, is Wild Wild West. And then uh, within days, by the time have, this is out, it should be. We should have a the State of the Wheel podcast YouTube channel. Yep. So if you are, even if you don't watch it on YouTube, if you have a YouTube account, yeah, and go on there and subscribe to it, that that really helps us out. Yeah. And there's going to be, there's going to be fun stuff coming more so than just the podcast. So yeah, we've got some things. Hey, I have one last thing. We got an email, oh. a question that I wanted to run by you before we go. Okay. Maybe think about that when I gave that email address. So this, this listener for Jax, I don't know how to fill it. So it doesn't say have a question for you guys. It says a question for Jax. Oh man. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I haven't, this is, this is. Can you explain the single dual single axle setup on your cattle trailer? Mm. I've been driving truck in Canada for 13 years now. I've never seen such a thing. Yeah. So you don't see those in Canada because they probably don't recognize that configuration. Explain what it is first. So single dual single is you have a three axle trailer and the first axle, instead of having duels on it, it just has a single tire tire on each end. So you have a single tire and then the center axle has duels on it. So there would be four tires across that axle. And then the back axle is the same as the first axle. It just has single wheels on it. And it's always a spring ride trailer. And the, the point of it is weight savings and less tires on the ground. That's what it boils down to. There's, there's nothing more or less than that. It's, it's like a thousand, well, it's spring ride. So that's, you know, several hundred pounds lighter than an air ride suspension. And then removing four wheels and tires from your rig also gives you another almost a thousand pounds of weight savings which means you can haul a greater payload that pays you more but that's it the down the the downside of them is if you say you get a flat tire on one of those singles of course you can't really limp to town you're kind of stuck where you're at so you need to have tire repair kit with you or a way to fix your tire on the road so you're not stranded the upside of them is the weight savings and rolling resistance they pull just like a feather because you got way less tires on the ground do you ever see them on things besides cattle trailer uh 
uh, a few flatbeds, very few, but very rare because most flatbeds are not triple axles. They're usually just two axles. Almost so. a rule. Almost a rule. It's cattle trucks. Yeah. Cattle I would say 95% of that configuration is for cattle trailers. Yeah. All right. Well, right on. Well, uh, I think probably the next couple episodes you're going to hear from us are going to be a little breakdown of the Billy Jack and Rooster episode. Yeah. Cool. And then I think after that, we're going to be digging in with Weston. Yep. That's going to be good. Weston, Weston, our youngest brother, will be in town. Who Jackson Weston have been, have some trucking stories. We got them. So you guys, we appreciate the support. Appreciate the listens. We have some exciting things we think coming up that are going to hopefully allow us to have a little more time to work on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe at least get to where we can not have the lights go out during the (laughs) middle of it. (laughs) Anyway, guys, take care out there. Everyone be safe. Drive well.